All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 112. We're here. We want to talk to you about the coaching carousel because it has definitely taken off today, as it does around this time of year. It's going to be myself, Bob Akairi, and my regular co-host, J.D. Moore. Again, if this is something you want to join in on and have your thoughts heard, we'd love to hear from you. Just hit request. And we'll start talking about whatever you want to talk about. Now, obviously, there's a lot of programs right now. There have been 14 openings, 10 of which are currently open. And just to kind of quickly go over that, technically, UAB is still open. They've been open since Bill Clark retired for health reasons right before the season. Their AD says they're going to try and get this filled by the December 5th opening of the transfer portal. But they are at the beginning of it. And, of course, Nebraska's hired Matt Rule. Arizona State's hired Kenny Dillingham. Georgia Tech's still open. They seem to have offered Willie Fritz, but that is an open question on whether or not that's 100% done. Colorado's still open. They've apparently offered Deion Sanders. We'll see where that goes. Wisconsin took Luke Fickle from Cincy. Charlotte let go of Will Healy, and now they have Bill Pogey from Michigan, their associate head coach. Auburn's still open. USF's still open. FAU, Stanford, Texas State, and, of course, Cincy is open and as well as Tulsa. So let's go ahead and get this started. I see my co-host is here, going to send him that invite and going to go ahead and let up Sam. You were the first person I saw. So let's go ahead and start talking. And then I've gone ahead and let you up, Steve, as well. We'll get to you right after Sam. What's up, Sam? Hello. Thanks for How are having you? me. Good. How are you doing? Good. Good. Um, I am a Nebraska fan. My dad grew up in rural Nebraska, and he passed his Nebraska fandom down to me. And I just think, I think that Nebraska fans currently are delusional. I think I am semi-realistic and that I hope that Matt Rule can get us to a bowl game. Get us to a bowl game and occasionally challenge for the Big Ten West and that are those are my expectations for him. I have zero expectations because I've seen the way that they've been. And there is nothing I think So you you've got a you 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 want baby steps oh, as far as you're concerned oh, yeah. when it comes to Nebraska. Oh yeah, baby steps for sure. Yeah, there's I think there's <laughs> I think that the very first step is to go six and six. And then go from there. So you've got some realistic expectations there. JD, by the way, have you been able to join? Yes, have been able to join. And, you know, when you get the Matt Rule experience, I think baby steps is the perfect exact way that you can see Matt Rule in action in building up a team, no matter where he's gone. I mean, immediately I think of the turnaround at Baylor, which, you know, you can say all you want about Nebraska with the malaise that they had, you know, after they fired Mike Riley and then brought on all these different hires that just didn't work out, starting with Mike Riley. Then you got Scott Frost, who was supposed to be the savior, and that bottom out very poorly you know Matt Rule came into a Baylor situation where they just had 
everything raised down to the foundations because of everything that had happened with Art Bryles and the Title IX scandals and everything that had happened over there. Uh, and, you know, if you want to talk baby steps, that first year at Baylor was really rough. He went 1-11. Then he got them bowl eligible. They got that Texas Bowl win. And then the year after that, they were competing in the Big 12 championship game. That's the same exact story at Temple. I mean, he starts 2-10. and 10, then he's bowl game eligible. Granted, Temple doesn't go to a bowl game at that time because of just how the bowl system shook out that year. Uh, but the next two years, they qualify for bowl games. They've got 10 win seasons. Uh, we've seen this consistency with Matt Rule of turning things around and making competitive quality football teams. I think the thing that I'm going to be most interested in is, you know, we're going to see this deal that Matt Rule is going to get a nice long tenure, at least on paper. At Nebraska, he's going to have some time to build up. Like when he signed the Baylor contract, I think he had something like an eight-year deal uh, that was mostly guaranteed to make sure that, hey, you know what? We know that we're in the mire of everything. You get time to build this the way that you want. I imagine he's going to get the same type of deal at Nebraska. Yeah, I think it's eight years. Yeah, but what I'm really curious to see is what's going to happen if you get him to a year four. Because he's shown repeatedly that, you know, you give him three years, he will start to build a competitive team. Uh, It's the same question that I've had with guys like Luke Fickle, who I'm sure we will talk about him plenty about taking the Wisconsin job, and all these other coaches that start to see early success. Maintaining success is an insanely difficult thing to do, and it's a much different gig than a rebuilding job. So I'm very curious to see if, you know, Matt Rule, if he goes four years, five years at Nebraska, what does year four look like if he gets that success in year three? How does he continue to develop the success that's going to be needed at a job like that? That, I think, is what I'm the most fascinated with with Matt Rule. I think no matter what happens next year for Nebraska, I think it's a wash year. Uh, So hopefully, you know, they get to six and six they qualify for a bowl game granted by the time we get to years two and three you're going to have usc and ucla uh in the big 10 conference they're going to go away with the big 10 uh east west division format so nebraska might not be necessarily competing for a title after that because presumably you're going to have michigan ohio state and then your second tier of penn state and wisconsin and usc and ucla uh, competing for the Big Ten titles. But, I mean, I don't think it's really out of the question of, at least based on the track record, you give Matt Rule enough time and enough runway, he'll get you to a good competitive team that you could possibly see double digits or more, uh, no matter where that's going to be. One thing I will say, I think he's a good match in that he wants to develop the team and develop the players. And player development is something that that goes back a long while at Nebraska. And that's something I think especially the the greater fan base and some of those older fans like uh, Sam was talking about, like his own parent, his own family um, is something they want to see them go back to. So I think that'll give them some patience because with rule, the, his approach to coaching in college is something that seems to be a natural fit. And I know he's been someone we thought at least when we've had the last couple of conversations about coaching position changes and where he might be available for, it seemed like he was the best fit for Nebraska at this stage. But I think, yeah, I think we'll see next season. It's going to be, no one's going to expect a Lincoln Riley situation where, you know, you just see a complete flip uh, the moment, uh, the moment he lands, but I think he's going to approach it and, and have a very smart systematic way that will hopefully engage the Nebraska fan base as well and bring them back in because, you know, they, they've been patient. Their own AD has said they've, they've been, Trev Alberts has said that they've, 
been through some of the most, you know, trying years for Huskers fans in a long time. So hopefully it hit the ground running there. Thanks, Sam. That was a that was a nice way to start. We appreciate it. Hey, Steve, what's up? Hey, how's it going? This is Steve Franklin at my guy Steve. Just want to say a huge fan of you guys. Uh, I've been following your account for uh, a while now. Really love it. Really love the content you guys you guys never miss. Um, but um, yeah, what I came in here to really just discuss. I just kind of pivot to sort of the possibilities that are out there with the coaching carousel. We saw last year. I thought last year was pretty crazy, pretty fun, um, pretty hectic with a lot of big moves. And I was kind of looking at the board, so to speak, um, this morning, trying to figure out because we're getting the carousel kind of early this year, it feels like. But um, I was looking at the board, just trying to figure out, like, who's this year's Brian Kelly? Not necessarily like a big shocker, but um, also like a big name, a a guy that you think is going to be there forever or a guy that has a program in top shape or maybe even like a big program um, in a big name, but, but ends up moving and going elsewhere either for a bigger check or bigger dreams or whatever. Um, so with that, like I'm trying to figure out this year's Brian Kelly, my candidates right now are Mike Gundy at Oklahoma state. I know that's crazy. I know he loves Oklahoma state, but it's sort of that thing where I think maybe his time's getting up there and maybe he's thinking about, some different pastures and maybe he wants to go somewhere else, a new challenge or, and whatnot. Um, and also my other name I have out there just in my head is, is Chip Kelly. Maybe he cashes in, you know, a good season with UCLA and thinks, you know, maybe he goes to another bigger job um, that, you know, can actually fill out their stadium uh, when they don't have to be nine and oh. So um, I was wondering like your guys thoughts, maybe any, any big? I know we kind of already had one with Luke Fickle. I guess maybe that counts as this year's Brian Kelly. But um, I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts on like any big time names you guys could see leaving or entertaining options. All right. Well, first and foremost, I do want to note that you are a Yale guy. Uh, had a delightful time over at the game this year up in Boston. Fantastic win for the Bulldogs. Absolutely loved seeing the ground and pound that was done by the Yale Bulldogs. Yes, uh, Joshua Joshua Pittsenberger, Trey Peterson, Nolan Grooms. Fantastic running game in that game. And of course, Yale being able to come back for the first time, you know, that game being held in Boston on that campus for the first time in six years and Yale being able to ruin that possibility. That was a delightful game to experience for the first time. So just wanted to get that out of the way real quick before we go ahead, start talking about coaching carousel again. So uh, I first, uh, first and foremost, I think that we've already had kind of our Brian Kelly moment uh, with the fact that Luke Fickle took the Wisconsin job. I think that was a job that nobody was really expecting Luke Fickle to jump to because especially after Notre Dame was open last year, Uh, We had the opportunity for Luke Fickle to take that job. He ended up not taking it. uh, And it was just kind of seen at the time of, you know what, he's already turned down Michigan State. He's already turned down West Virginia. He's turned down USC. Uh, At this point, you know, he spent almost his entire life in Ohio, with the exception of when he was on the uh, New Orleans Saints for a hot second. And I think everybody, including myself, thought, you know what, he's just going to hold out at Cincinnati. He's making Power 5 money. He's getting the facilities that he needs. He's going into the Big 12. So unless Ohio State opens up, he's probably going to be happy and camping there. And then this morning, just the out of nowhere of, I think a lot of people thought Jim Leonard would probably be the guy at Wisconsin or they might have gone 
somewhere else uh, to get a hire. But for Luke Fickle to announce, you know what, I'm actually going to go take that Wisconsin job. I think that was the huge splash of this cycle where we had that Brian Kelly moment of nobody expected Brian Kelly to go to LSU. Uh, I cannot imagine anybody who thought Luke Fickle would have been a serious candidate at Wisconsin. And that's what happened today. Now, as far as the other guys that you floated out there, uh, Mike Gundy, <laughs> you know, I know SRS isn't here today uh, to talk about, uh, you know, his own rant about uh, Mike Gundy and staying in Stillwater. Uh, but at a certain point, you know, this is a guy who started playing football at Oklahoma State in 1986. And with the exception of when he went to go to Baylor for a year and then to Maryland for three years between 1996 and 2000, his entire life has been at Oklahoma State University. Uh, at this point, if you have been there for that long, you've got that bad of a winning record against your main rival. You've been paid that much money and you are that embedded in that type of society. I do not see any reason that Mike Gundy is ever going to go to another program because you also have to consider after this year, I mean, they essentially won the Texas game. And then Mike Gundy said, yep, we're done with the season. Don't got to do anything else for the rest of the year. And if you see opportunities like like that he doesn't get away with that at other places where at least brian kelly you know he left for lsu when notre dame was still going to go to the fiesta bowl he was still consistently getting them in the playoff conversation in the new year six conversation mike gundy this year just kind of folded it in and i don't think that if you're an administrator you look at that and go yeah that's the guy that i want on my team going forward and then you know bobak i'm sure that you've got plenty of thoughts about chip kelly yeah uh, over at ucla and possibly uh cashing in his chips uscla i love it uh <laughs> no i because i'm a usc alum but i think the problem with chip kelly there is he takes a while to build a program sometimes and and seriously ucla was i mean if he didn't have the season he had this year at ucla i think there would have been an outside chance that he wouldn't have finished the season we'd be talking about who's going to be the next coach of ucla so it took a few years to get that program even into the position where it was winning in the way it is now. So I think that's something that's going to cause hesitation to bring Chip Kelly over to any new programs, um, in my opinion. Now, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just reiterate what J.D. said uh, I, about <laughs> Gundy. I don't foresee him leaving there um, anytime soon. But that said, you know, last year was such an exception. I mean... A year ago, a year ago tomorrow, Monday was when USC announced, uh, you know, they were going to be having Lincoln Riley, and and you know everyone was shocked. And then a few days later, was shocked again when Brian Kelly left Notre Dame for LSU. Those were both just earth-shattering ones. And I think, gosh, Luke Fickle is probably the closest we've seen so far. There is a chance we could have another again. This is the exact same time last year when we were seeing some of these crazy moves. So I'm not going to say don't expect something to happen and then something will, but I'm not sure there's going to be a move like that this year. Um, I Typically, I think with Lincoln Riley, it was a little more surprising, but for someone like Brian Kelly, I, I get where you were coming from, especially with Gundy, someone who's been at a school for a long period of time and kind of feels like, okay, I'm not sure. This is this is where I want to kind of, you know, I mean, Bronco Mendenhall did that. He was at BYU all those years and then suddenly took the UVA job. It certainly happens. But I'm just a little hesitant to to see who's going to be this year. But we could all be surprised. Who knows? Is it going to be? I mean, 
his his star certainly dimmed was Matt Campbell because he was always is he going to join anywhere or not? But you know, Iowa State they were the Nebraska of uh, they were like last year's Nebraska. They just kept losing games close, and then of course TCU blew them out this past weekend. So we'll we'll see. It'll be interesting. But that was a that was a great question. It was good good talking to you, Steve. Thank you. So let's Thank see. You. Yeah, thank you. And let's see here. Next up, uh, TK Maxwell. What's up? Go ahead and unmute. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, guys. Uh, speaking of USC, uh, I'm an App State fan, and I was just down in at Georgia Southern for yesterday's horrible, terrible, no good loss to Clay Helton's Georgia Southern team. And Goodness, yes. So, so yeah, uh, well, that was a big win for Clay Helton, obviously, getting to bowl eligibility and – on the other end, uh, you know, six and six for App State with two FCS wins. It doesn't look like they're going to go to a bowl game, maybe. Uh, but Sean Clark, he, there's zero threat to his job right now, I feel. They're doing all these facility upgrades, and he's an App State alum. They'll, the, he'll go around with the assistants and and, tell, and he might give a few of them a pink slip, but I don't think his, his job's not in danger. So if anyone is going off the edge about that, that's not going to happen. But my kind of question is, you know, in North Carolina, it's it's interesting right now because you have several six uh, successful programs uh, in the ACC plus ECU, and then you got a uh, then you got Charlotte, you got Biff. Uh, so I just wanted to ask uh, how y'all y'all feel about uh, this a uh, unique experiment that Charlotte's getting into with Biff. And thinking about how is, is he going to – could he turn that program around as they go into the American? Like, because they really – they don't have the money. They have decent facilities. I've been there. They're not that bad, but the stadium's tiny. They've never really had a winning program. So, just how do you feel about that? And also, uh, do you feel like ECU is Mike Houston is going to be a name that is going to be talked about in coaching circles? Because – you know, I have friends that say, you know, if Mac Brown retires, they can go after Mike Houston at Chapel Hill. But so, how do you feel uh, first about Biff at Charlotte and uh, Mike Houston at ECU? You know, potentially cashing in. All right, there is a lot to pack in here, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, first start off. Uh, I would love to start talking at least about uh, Appalachian State first. Uh, so Appalachian State, I think, you know, this is probably a safe year for Appalachian State to not fire their coach. But you have to remember, this is the first time in approximately 37 years that Appalachian State has had a losing conference record. And especially knowing where Appalachian State was at the start of the year, literally stealing college game day from Texas A&M, getting a huge payday to upset the Aggies in College Station, and then just to fizzle out the way that they did. Uh, and now, you know, they're just kind of hoping that they can get any kind of attention for a postseason now. Uh, I think that's one of those things of, I think there's a lot of grumbling at Appalachian State, especially given how many coaches they've had over the last few years with Satterfield, with Eli Drinkwitz, and the ability to just kind of re-up and reload. I don't necessarily know how safe that job is at Appalachian State. I don't know necessarily if the buyout is going to be there or anything else like that, but you have to consider, you know, if there are guys out there like Garrett Riley 
at TCU, who's had a fantastic year as the offensive coordinator. You know, he is a former Mountaineer as a coach. He spent a little bit of time out there. And I think if you're going to look for somebody who's like, you know, an opportunity for them to go ahead and make a splash higher and they want to go, hey, you know what? This is not the standard of the program. We want to make a move. They can make a lot worse moves than Garrett Riley. Uh, now, as far as the rest of the uh, state of South or uh, North Carolina, excuse me, uh, Biff Pogey, uh, or excuse me, Biff Pogey, uh, I think one of the incredible things for him is he's kind of the guy who came in and he fixed Jim Harbaugh's Michigan. We all knew that Jim Harbaugh was on the hot seat. He was struggling. The COVID year had looked really, really bad. And everybody was looking at that restructured buyout. And they were like, you know what? Is this Jim Harbaugh's last year? What's going to happen? Well, you know, what happens is he decides, you know what? I'm going to find somebody who actually knows what they're doing. And I'm going to make them one of my highest assistants. And I'm going to make them my associate head football coach. And that's what Biff did. He is the one who really jump-started Michigan to become the dominant team that it is now, which, you know, they're now looking at back-to-back seasons in the playoffs, back-to-back Big Ten titles. And I think this was a home run hire for Charlotte because this is, again, an old season steadied hand who knows what he's about. It reminds me a lot of like a Sam Pittman type hire of, you know, this might not be the sexiest hire. It might not be the one that has the biggest, splashiest headlines, but you're bringing in somebody who knows what they're doing. And that's really what Charlotte as a very young program needs right now. You know, I just want to say one thing that that uh, Poji kind of reminds me of is is Moglia because they both have business backgrounds. They're both guys who played football, oh, 100%. found success, and you know now they're going back into coaching. So if he's anything like Joe Moglia, that would be incredible for Charlotte because Moglia turned you know Coastal Carolina into you know he laid that foundation before health reasons caused him to step away, and and Jamie Chadwell's is walked away with that foundation that was that was put together for him. So I think that's exciting for Charlotte. I think that model can work, especially when you have, as you said, you know, uh, TK, the, the program has put money into building that as something that could potentially continue to grow and win. So, and it's in a great market, it's in Charlotte and it's in the city. It's not like it's a huge, you know, when we're comparing, you know, obviously app state has a lot of tradition, a lot of fans, a lot of history, with their FCS success before they moved up the FBS. So people are willing to take uh, the time to head out to Boone and, and go to the program. But Charlotte, you know, they're right in a major city. And you could argue that sometimes that can be a bit of a complication because you're competing against the pro teams and all of that stuff. But I think there is a good upside there, and hopefully he can get that going. You know, one thing that is a question, and, and again, to go to, to the Mike Houston part of the question, that is a good question. I, this season was so weird for the Pirates. They had so many games that could have gone either way. I mean, they lost that first game to North Carolina State by a single point. They had a double overtime loss to Navy. They had another close game at Cincy. And then they closed with that firefight at Temple. They won, but that was... I still don't know how they lost quite as badly as they did hosting Houston. But, you know... Mike, uh, so speaking of Houston, but Mike Houston is a success. We actually, it's so funny. We were talking earlier this season when we hosted the athletic director, James Madison. He won a title there, had a success there over three seasons. Before that, did some good work at the Citadel and, and at D2 and Lenore Wine. So, I mean, I think, you know, he's got the talent. He's got the ability. I think if he needs, if he gets a season where he gets past that seven win 
sort of regular season mark, which he's at now. If he can go on and kind of get that nine-win season, I think there's going to be a lot more interest his way. You know, one of the comments, I, we do try to get some of the comments that get dropped in, and what was, you know, somebody asked about whether there's any word on, on Mac Brown retiring after the ACC championship. I'm only bringing it up because we're talking North Carolina football right now. I, I don't know. That's a, that's a pretty bold thing to potentially happen. So we'll, we'll just sort of, we'll have to table that one. Um, not sure if that would happen, but I think again, if Mike Houston can just get, I think a really successful season, he's proven himself at, at several different levels. I think that would help him kind of make that next step. But again, this year, they just, they just had some weird moments. JD, I know you wanted to add something real quick. Yeah, I think it was specifically for the Mac Brown, you know, retirement rumors of, you know, if he goes to the ACC title game uh, and, you know, regardless of what happens, he decides that he's going to hang it up after that. We're in an era that we're now seeing coaches coach older and older. I mean, Nick Saban is also 71 years old, same age as Mac Brown. We're seeing a bunch of guys who are being able to coach and stay relevant at a high level. And I think right now, unless his faculties or there's a health issue that isn't disclosed right now, I don't see any reason for Mac Brown to step down at UNC right now. Maybe it's a year away. Maybe it's two, three, four years away. Granted, he's not going to be coaching forever, but it's very difficult for me to look at this situation and decide, you know, Mac Brown wants to go back to retirement. He spent, you know, several years after quote unquote resigning from the University of Texas doing TV. And I think he enjoyed that, but it was clear that he wanted to go back into coaching because that's what he loved. And it's something that he still continues to clearly have a lot of enjoyment out of. And I can't see any reason to believe that this is the year that he's going to hang it up. But of course, we always get the January surprise somewhere. And hey, might as well be Mac Brown. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always enjoy how earnest he was in that he has been always kind of an earnest guy when he communicates. And there was a time there when he was doing the TV stuff where he was just like replying to people on Twitter. Like, and if you replied to Mac Brown, he would take a moment and reply to you. And it was just the it was the cutest thing. I don't know why, because he just a picture of his being kind of this older aloof guy. But I, I thought that was sweet. Anyway, um, thanks, DK. It was great hearing from you. So let's see. I've got U of M season up nest. After that, we'll get to Christopher and then um bnehc945 so what's up u of m season talk to us um hi, hi my name's my name is drew um and i'm a huge fan huge fan of this thanks for uh, bringing me on and michigan just with a dominating win yesterday i'm I, that's the best win i've ever seen out of michigan football i'm just so excited without blake corum and jj mccarthy really stepped up when we needed him the most um yeah but that's besides the point. What I really want to talk about is, is Jimbo Fisher on the hot seat in over at AM? I mean, I know he he had he's had some 2020 was a good season in the COVID year. 2018, 2019 with Kellen Mond. He had Kim for three years. I mean, he, he is he's a good coach. He obviously is getting the recruits. They had the number one recruiting class. Um, but this year just a terrible year for AM. I mean. Uh, I, I think they won four games. They lost to App State. They struggled with UMass for the first half, and they had, like, no attendance for that game. So that's the first coach I think should be on the hot seat. And the second one, I don't know if she's on the hot seat yet. I think Mel Tucker, he's, he's that they gave him a really big contract. I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, I, he had Kenneth Walker. He won 11 games. And, I mean – that that's really I think why he won the eleven games. He could slow the game down with Kenneth Walker, and then this season, 
he didn't have that dominating running back, and they struggled all season. I mean, Michigan do- uh, dominated against them. Penn State yesterday dominated against them. They did Ohio State. C.J. Stroud threw six touchdowns against Michigan State. I, d- I just think that that wasn't a smart move by the Spartans. And then one more coach I think should be on the hot seat is Tom Allen at Indiana. He had the great COVID year, but ever since then, I mean, Indiana, you just, Indiana, you expect uh, they're just not very good. That's all I got. <laughs> well, thank you so much, U of M. I do want to go ahead and just start off with Jimbo Fisher because, number one, the way that you, we've already described, if you're guaranteed 85, 90, $95 million and you're not cutting the results, you're firing coordinators long before you're considering you're going to get rid of the head coach. And, of course, you know you mentioned some of the intangibles that are in Jimbo's favor, the number one overall recruiting class, the giant contract that he's got. But let's also not forget – you know, for as bad as AM season was, missing a bowl game, losing record, tied for last in the SEC, they finished the season with a top five upset against the team that won the SEC West. And that's what all the AM boosters are going to be looking at and convinced of this is why we hired this guy. They're going to be mad of, you know, Yes, we're not getting the bowl game. Yeah, we lost to App State back when. But we know what this program can be under Jimbo Fisher, and that's what we expect. Because, you know, they're still going to remember being so dang close against Alabama and almost beating them one more time. They're going to remember upsetting LSU as a huge underdog in College Station. Those are the games that they're going to remember. And when they look at that price tag and they go, eh, you know what? here's some more money, go find yourself an actual offensive coordinator. Uh, that's the type of move that we're going to see this year out of Texas A&M. Now, if he repeats the same exact thing and misses another bull next year, we can have another conversation after that. But right now for Jimbo Fisher, it's going to be coordinators and assistants. It ain't going to be the man himself. Uh, and then over in the Big Ten, you're going to have kind of a similar deal with Mel Tucker. You know, this is still very, very closely removed from Kenneth Walker's huge year and the New Year's Six Bowl win. And that's a lot of momentum that's still going into Michigan State, regardless of how bad this year was. But again, you don't hire a guy to that huge of a contract just to immediately get rid of him. Uh, I would expect a couple of shakeups with the assistants. I would expect, you know, a couple of changes within the program itself. But I don't think necessarily that, you know, either him or Jimbo are on the hot seat going into next year unless you see some disastrous results or something off the field uh, related. Now, finally, with Tom Allen, I think that is a uh, fair question. Uh, Obviously, the COVID year was an anomaly over at Indiana, but we, oof. For a long, long history with the Hoosiers to know what bad football is, but then to still see these results, that is going to be a difficult pill to swallow. I don't know if Indiana necessarily wants to try to jump in on this market. I think there's definitely a possibility if they want to, they might be able to try to find somebody new and get some fresh uh, opportunity in there. I mean, Kane Womack uh, went down to South Alabama from the Hoosiers after that incredible year, and he just posted a 10-win season uh, with South Alabama. I think he'd be a great opportunity if he wanted to come back to a Power 5 program. Uh, but it really just comes down to, you know, does Indiana want to value football? And I think that's the question that we've all been asking for more than 100 years now. You know, I just wanted to only add a little bit, and that's to, to Tom Allen. I mean, again, they they have the unfortunate um, benchmark of being the first FBS program to reach the 700 total loss mark this season. Via, uh, pardon me, uh, VMI already hit that, so there has been a D1 team that has before, but 
Unfortunately, Indiana is the first team on the FBS level to have reached uh, 700 losses. But setting that aside, it was going to happen eventually. Every team will eventually hit that number, theoretically. But um, I think they're. I think next season is going to be the deciding factor for them. Just looking at Indiana's history and how much kind of runway they've given their program, pardon me, their coaches. It seems like after about four mundane seasons, three or four, they start to let them go. Now the COVID year might give him an extra year after that. But if we see another four or less wins, I could see Indiana getting impatient, especially depending on the coaching market. I'd be a little surprised to see them this season, but I think it's certainly feasible to see that next season, uh, having them run out of patience there. But again, thanks U of M season. That was, uh, that was great. Uh, we appreciate hearing from you. So let's see next up, uh, Christopher, we, you were next in kind of the queue. What's up? Hey, how are you doing? Um, so uh, I'm a diehard Hokie fan, a Virginia Tech fan, and uh, I really was wondering, do you think Brent Pry is the guy in Blacksburg to turn the program around? Do you think uh, he will turn it around and make it back to a 10-win season competing in the ACC? Uh, obviously, we don't think, you know, obviously Justin Flint there, we thought he was the guy, but I don't think that. Uh, tell me what you think about Pry being at Virginia Tech. I think a first season is always going to be difficult, and this season absolutely was. There's no other way to say that it was unacceptable to have a seven-game losing streak like there was. Granted, it was at least some joy in, in being one of the teams that, clobbered Liberty at the end of the season. And, you know, they, they lost three in a row, which again, Auburn really wants to hop on the Hugh freeze, bring all of that garbage their way, all that off the season, uh, probably off the field stuff they could. But again, he lost three in a row and it just like, you know, Lane did, but um, it's tough. I mean, that opening loss to old dominion set a terrible tone. I mean, and it wasn't even the first time. I mean, granted that, Virginia Tech's had some trouble playing in Norfolk, but the some of those losses were at least close. I, I still remember that loss to to at NC State, and again a loss to Georgia Tech. Both of those by one point. It's hard to it's hard to it's hard to necessarily legitimize a loss to Miami, but I think give them at least of one more year before I'm going to necessarily. Throw them under the bus. This is such a strange season. And then what happened at Virginia? Uh, that just that put both of the schools in an awkward position. I mean, it's a tragedy what happened at UVA. So we know we didn't even get an opportunity to kind of see how those classic rivals did against each other at the end of the year. So I think for all of those reasons, I would give it a push. What do you think, JD? I mean, granted, there are year zero resets, and there are always year zero resets. But this was also the worst Virginia Tech football season since 1951. Like, there are rebuilds and there are some stinker years. And boy, howdy, this was a stinker year for the Hokies. I think 
you know, this is obviously way too early to pull the plug on anybody, but I would definitely think, you know, if you put out another performance like this next year, you know, you're probably going to be talking in that Chad Morris, Willie Taggart era of, you know, this was maybe a mistake and we got to do the hard reset once again. Uh, but I think one of the big things right now for Virginia Tech, uh, really more than anything else, is trying to figure out what are you doing with your recruiting? Because, you know, you can say whatever you want about Fuente's players trying to buy into a new system, having to reset. I mean, you know, this year alone they had, I think it was uh, – three different transfers uh, who are trying to get the starting quarterback job. Obviously you had Grant Wells opening up the season. You had Jason Brown who was in as a transfer and you were trying to figure out, you know, what exactly that was going to look like with your culture. Uh, but right now you're not even cracking the top 40 at Virginia tech in recruiting. And you have only one blue chip committed to you right now in the class of 2023, your transfer rank is in the nineties right now. And that is a problem if you are a head coach right now at a storied program like Virginia Tech, I think if you want to make sure that you're going to be able to succeed long term with the Hokies, you got to be able to show that either you can develop talent or you can recruit talent. And as of so far this season, we really haven't seen either from the head coach at Virginia Tech. I think one of the huge things that is going to have to change is he's going to have to hit. A couple of times on the transfer portal, he's going to have to find a player or two that's going to make an immediate impact. He's got to find a way to really boost up that recruiting. He's got to find the opportunities to really tap into different pipelines to make sure that he has the talent coming in that he can develop on his own. Uh, but if he can't do that in this coming year, man, it's going to be rough for the years coming ahead. Also, let me ask you a question. Do you think – if did you think do you think that Virginia Tech blew a chance when they didn't go after Shane Beamer what he's doing at um South Carolina now and I obviously do not see him leaving South Carolina what he's done at South Carolina um I don't think it's necessarily a blown opportunity I don't see a world where Shane Beamer wants to follow his dad because again, that's going to be always a thing of Shane Beamer took the South Carolina job specifically because no matter what he knew he was going to be compared to his dad, but for him to have his first ever head coaching job, be at the place that his dad built. Nah, that was never going to happen for Shane Beamer. And, you know, even if Virginia tech said, hi, here's $100 million guaranteed. You can do whatever you want here. I cannot see a world where Shane Beamer would have said yes to that because he would have known no matter what I do, unless I win a national championship, they're going to say I wasn't as good as my dad was. So the fact that he's been able to go to South Carolina, he's been able to build up his own resume. We had an incredible conversation with him on one of these RCFB talks uh, before this season began strongly recommend y'all hearing it especially after the type of season that he's put around this year with the Gamecocks uh, I don't think there was ever an opportunity that he was going to go to Virginia Tech and I don't think there's necessarily a missed opportunity there thanks again Christopher it was great hearing from you so let's see B-N-E-H-C I saw you unmuted so why don't you go ahead hey guys thank y'all for doing this I, uh it feels a little bit like the Auburn search is kind of going off the rails here um, if you could give me a couple of names of guys you would go after if you were Auburn and then give me a couple of names of guys you think Auburn's actually could possibly get. 
Oh, that's a good one. JD, do you want to do you want to take start on that? I mean, because it's interesting too. I agree. This has been kind of the uh, the circus hirings uh, of this particular cycle, for better or worse. I mean, we've seen that. It's uh, goodness. It's um, I mean, because right now it sounds like there was that fan. Uh, I mean, they initially Lane Kiffin was was obviously being bandied about. Then he says he's not interested right before the Egg Bowl, and it seems to have been quite serious about that, and got into it with a reporter. Um, and kind of, you know, the sort of things that that occur between local reporters and their um, and the people that they cover. But obviously with Hugh Freeze, they started to bring that up. And then there was some blowback from what it sounds like between some of the donors. So now it seems to be uh, sort of a slight reset for Auburn. And again, you know, at the beginning of this talk, I was just kind of going over the various teams that still have openings with UAB, which obviously is also in Alabama, their own AD. You know, they've been they've been looking the whole season because, you know, Bill Clark medically retired right before the season began. But, you know, he even said, like, their goal is December 5th because that's the opening of the transfer portal. And I can imagine, to an extent, that's something Auburn's got to be looking at. Now, I, J.D., who do you think – that's a great question. Who would you go after if you could kind of make a choice and then Auburn and would, would go with it and then obviously the head coach would agree to it? So, I mean, first and foremost – one of the things that Auburn has in common, which I feel like they have a lot of things in common with a toddler, is that the quieter they are, the more trouble they are about to get themselves into. And I think the fact that on a Black Sunday that Auburn has just gone radio silent on whatever is happening with their coaching search should be a very concerning thing for all Tigers fans on what is going to happen regardless of this search. Uh, I mean, you already mentioned Lane Kiffin was zeroed in and then he ended up getting his extension at Ole Miss. They zeroed in on Hugh Freeze and that's kind of been brought back down after a little bit of blowback. I still think Hugh Freeze is probably going to be that leader in the clubhouse. They're just trying to find a way to sanitize it, a.k.a. read the room. They're trying to figure out to get Greg Sankey on board with that. Uh, but I think when you look at the full situation, I know a lot of people will clamor for Cadillac Williams to get the full-time job. I don't think that's necessarily the right idea. I think he definitely needs to be retained on staff for whoever comes in, but I don't think he's the guy you want to promote to a head coach in that precarious of a situation. Um, I think, again, it's going to be in a kind of similar situation uh, that deal with the devil, but you know, you have to give Urban Meyer a call on that situation because you're, when you're looking at that job, you're looking for a couple of things. Who is somebody who has head coaching experience? Who is somebody who knows the footprint and knows the pressures of the SEC? Because they're trying to go with the polar opposite of Brian Harson of we don't want just a good coach. We want somebody who knows what it's like to be in that pressure cooker. And when you start looking at that, that list starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller smaller for opportunities that are there so if i'm auburn you know i'm probably trying to find a way to make greg sankey give his blessing for hugh freeze i'm probably looking at an opportunity of seeing how much money urban meyer actually does need to come down on the planes and i think if you're looking for something else like that you have a really stringent list of who you actually need to take that job to get you the results that you want because georgia ain't letting up anytime soon and you know alabama might be quote-unquote down but down means that you got two games that are lost on the final possession and nick saban is still a killing machine out there you know just because i know he's also into auburn instatag i know you wanted to just kind of really quickly chime in here yeah for sure uh 
huge Auburn fan here. Um, miserable Auburn fan right now. Uh, we got basketball, so that's all that matters. Um, anyways, uh, I just wanted to chime in on what JD said. If you're saying, you know, the blowback on Hugh Freeze, you know, yada, yada. Um, why would there not be, you know, there'd probably be a lot of backlash if we hired Urban, um, which I don't even think that's a question, honestly. But, um, I mean, at that point, I mean, anybody as an Auburn fan, we're going to end up hiring like Jeff Grimes out of Baylor or somebody, and then we're, we're all going to be pissed off. So, uh, you know, hopefully it's freeze regardless of the blowback or not. But that's really our – I mean, he's a winner in the SEC. That's really the only guy it looks like we got. But I don't know. Uh, anybody outside of the urban um you know it's tricky i think it's really tricky for that reason because you know they don't want to repeat what happened with brian harson they want someone who's going to come in there know how to recruit and compete in the sec both at the recruiting level when you've got someone you know truly the even regardless of on the field you know the, the greatest of all time in recruiting at the rival school with nick saban so you want to get somebody who can compete there so I get it. The, the, the number of candidates who are good at those particular areas and are, you know, maybe crazy enough to walk into that pressure cooker that's going to be there when they arrive. There's only so many candidates. And I kind of sympathize with Auburn fans here. And it's like, well, I, I'm not going to cast too, many, too much shade at them because it's like they're a part of the ride here as, you know, the situation arises. J.D.? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, like, I think no matter what, Auburn, I think as an indispensable, like, we're not going to budge on this, wants head coaching experience, wants SEC coaching experience, and has the ability to keep up with the Nick Sabans and the Kirby Smarts of the world. And when you start looking at that, that list is slim. So that's why I think, again, they're kind of looking in that area of those guys like Hugh Freeze or anybody else in that circle. Uh, but I think if we want to go outside of that, I know that you mentioned Jeff Grimes, who, you know, he was a Broyles Award candidate. He was the offensive line coach on that 2010 championship thing or team. Uh, I think one of the other candidates that you might have to consider, which I don't know how necessarily uh, he would take that, uh, Todd Munkin. Uh, offensive coordinator over at Georgia, I think would probably be uh, your best opportunity outside of that Hugh Freeze type circle where you're not going to have that much of a scandal. You're not going to have, you know, a big uppityness about it by any means. Uh, but again, it has to be one of those things of, you know, can you put up with a quote unquote disappointment if you do an offensive coordinator as opposed to a sitting power five head coach? Uh, that's something only Auburn fans can answer. I mean, we, uh, as Auburn fans, I think at this rate, whoever we hire, they're going to be disappointed in. That's just uh, the epitome of our uh, coaching searches, it seems. Um, but I'll be quite honest with you. At this rate, we should have just kept Gus at this point if we haven't had a surefire hire. I mean, obviously, Harson, we saw that disaster. Um, the other name I have seen floated around is James Franklin um, from Penn State. I don't know why he would leave, but he did coach at Vandy for a few years. I can't really remember when, but um, I always credit that to the fact that he has an amazing agent, which is why he had he had a great deal before, you know, 
<laughs> before all these other crazy deals uh, somehow outshone his. So I think he's just a master of of getting his name into some of these discussions. But I'm I'd be surprised to see him leave Penn State at this point. I think he's just always going to be a perennial. Oh, with, with James Franklin. I remember when he was like, well, James Franklin go to USC. You know, that was that's come up more than once, uh, you know, in, in the various cycles. He just he's very good at, at, at selling that kind of uh, uh, that kind of position. And as you know, I know he's got like 70 million guaranteed for 10 years right now. He he's not in any real hurry to leave Penn state right now. So that's all uh, I think we can, we can set that one aside right now. Cause again, they, yeah, he's got a, He's got a sweet deal. They, they would owe him, I believe like $56 million if they terminated him without cause before 2024. So he's going to, he's going to be staying put at this point. I, I, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think he'd be a, you know, a decent coach. I mean, the thing is, I mean, I, I'm obviously I have bias being an Auburn fan, but us being, I think at our best, we're a top 15 program in the country. But when you don't have a head coach, like you said, when you're fighting the Kirby Smarts and the Nick Sabans of the world, and then not to mention you got Brian Kelly down at LSU now, um, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. I mean, and then you're bringing in Oklahoma and Texas. It's only going to get tougher. So, I mean, we just need a, we need a guy who's a proven winner and, can uh, win some ball games for us, but I guess we'll see what happens. But like JD said, uh, Auburn going radio silent is not a good sign because that's when uh, Harson came out of left field. So kind of, kind of worries me. But I guess all I can do is sit back and wait. We'll all be watching, man. Thanks so much for joining us, both yeah, of man. you guys. It was good to talk some Auburn football. For sure. Thank you, man. Hey, Dave. Looks like you're next up in the queue. What's up? As a Carolina Panthers fan, I must ask this. They announced Matt Rule to Nebraska. I want to know your thoughts on whether or not it's going to work or not, because I question that he's going to be able to turn it around. And I have some reasons of why. But because um, I think the, 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 um, the landscape is going to be a little bit different when you talk about recruiting in Texas versus recruiting in Nebraska, especially in 2022. Well, I think first and foremost, I know that you're a Carolina fan, so that probably means you're coming in with the NFL thought first and foremost. Uh, I think one of the big things was, you know, outside of his previous short stint with the New York Giants, Matt Rule had primarily not been in the NFL, especially as a decision maker in the NFL. And I think him realizing that he doesn't get full control over roster management and he has to deal with so many different things like the players union salary caps and all these different things that he doesn't have to deal with in college for roster building. I think that was one of his hugest issues that he ended up having more than anything else. So to, 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 to refute that just a tad, Matt rule had um, final say on all personnel control in his contract while he was, while he was the head coach of the Carolina Panthers to the point where it created conflicts with the general manager that was there originally. And when they fired that general manager, they brought somebody else in who pretty much was the yes man. So we're going to find out if we actually do have a legitimate GM now that rule is gone. But um, he had final say. And after and during while he was still the head coach, some of the decisions that he, that he overrode came to, came to light. And it was, yeah, yeah. 
Well, again, one of the big things is recruiting in college is dramatically different than having personnel control and say in the NFL. In college, you have the opportunity to recruit from around the country and have so many different opportunities to build the exact roster you want from high school players that you can build a talent differential. In the NFL, you've only got 32 teams and only a very select amount of players who you're going to be able to have to compete on that level. You're not going to have four years to develop those guys to the way that they're going to do for the most part those guys are already developed to what they already are when you're in college you can have a lot of schematic advantages you can have a lot of opportunities that you don't get in the nfl because you don't have anything like hey you know what i can only have 53 guys on my team so i'm going to pick and choose this in college you can have as many guys as you want yes technically there is the 85 person scholarship limit but with nil you have the opportunity to have so many walk-ons you have gray shirts you have ways to really build up the depth and the ability in the roster that you don't get to do that in the nfl and when you see the opportunities that he's had at temple and baylor he's shown himself that he knows how to get really ingrained in local communities y'all got to remember yes he recruited out of texas at baylor he had never stepped foot in texas until he got to baylor and when he got in there he did the first immediate brilliant thing of hiring all these really, really fantastic Texas high school head coaches who dominated at the high school level. And when he did that, he got first access to the guys he actually wanted coming straight out of high school. It was not a deal of, hey, I got to make sure that they're going to agree to this contract. They're going to be able to work with this salary cap. I got to work with the players union. It was quite literally, hey, Joey McGuire won a bunch of championships at Cedar Hill. And he told this coach that I want his quarterback. That's going to happen now. That's the type of recruiting that Matt rule gets to do in the college ranks and that's where i think when he goes to nebraska you know nebraska does not have the natural talent that texas does that pennsylvania does but you know who still has all those contacts in texas and pennsylvania and is loved by those high school coaches that's matt rule he has the ability to pull from a national pool now for guys that he wants to play for him and he has the ability to have the talent mismatch because again you can say everything that he wants about, you know, he had player control in the NFL. Player control in the NFL is not even remotely close to having player control in college and being able to have just dramatic differences of walking in and getting a four-star guy to come in and work for you or finding that three-star that was overlooked by a recruiting service that nobody else picked up on and having the support staff to really build out, hey, I've got all these people who are literally designed just to do this recruiting for me. That doesn't happen in the NFL, and that's why I think that's not necessarily going to be an issue for Matt Rule. I think it's interesting only because he is a – I mean, you always see coaches like this who, who've been head coaches for a while and you kind of wonder, well, are they better suited for the NFL? Are they better suited for college? I think this is going to be, for a lot of reasons, in addition to the, the heavy burden – or not burden, but the heavy you know, story of whether or not Nebraska can get back to where it has been is whether Matt Rule is truly best optimized as a college head coach. I'm starting to think that because he is into developing players – I know they had that interview where Bill Belichick said he's a football guy and he really admires kind of uh, <laughs> rules approach. Although I can never can never tell how serious that is or if it's kind of a backhanded compliment. Or, but at the same time, I I think we'll see right now. I'm I'm optimistic. I think he's he's well set for that. We talked about it earlier. 
Um, but, you know, who knows? We've said that before about head coaches, and then next thing you know, we're like, oh, my gosh, boy, was that a terrible hire. We'll see. It's all going to be – it's all going to play out on the field. You know, I want to let in another caller, too. Dave, you can stick around if you want. You always contribute a lot. We always enjoy hearing from you. Gamecock Superman, what's up? You've been super patient. Uh, hello. How's it going? Um, you must be thrilled after last weekend. Uh, yeah. Uh, really excited about how the season went. Uh, you know, amazing two weeks. These uh, last two weeks down the stretch, and we get a Florida Bowl game. So, you know, what's not to like? But uh, I kind of wanted to ask you the question, since we're talking about the coaching carousel. One of the uh, openings that, you know, isn't really being talked about a whole lot is Georgia Tech. And I believe it was reported today that they're going after Willie Fritz. Yeah. Do you think Willie Fritz can actually bring Georgia Tech back to, you know, some semblance of level of success? Or do you think it really anybody can? Because I think that that realistically is the hardest job, you know, available. I I don't know if I would quite say it's the hardest job available because it's still, you know, it's the ACC. You're not dumping yourself into the SEC and forced to kind of sink or swim. But there's a huge but there. Obviously, the annual rival being Georgia is not an easy one. And but at the benefit, they're in Atlanta, you know, huge recruiting base in the state of Georgia, huge, you know, market. There's some benefit there. There's tradition I'm not going to say there's necessarily the money that can compete, but there's certainly it's not a, a school that has a lack of wherewithal. Now, Willie Fritz, I'm curious to see how he would do. I I I like Willie Fritz, and I was kind of skeptical when I, I or kind of hesitant when I would see some of the folks say, "Oh, he had one great year at Tulane, and now he's cashing in on it." I'm like, I've I've followed Willie Fritz for quite some time. The first time. We ever covered a media event, a major media event at RCFE was I went and covered Sunbelt Media Day in 2015. That was when Willie Fritz was still at Georgia Southern. And when he read his resume, it was just incredible. He'd won a couple of national titles at the JUCO level, had success at the D2 level, had success at the FCS level, getting into, you know, deep into the playoffs, gets to Georgia Southern takes care of the transition that they have from FCS to FBS, has a couple of years there, and then hops over to Tulane, which is still one of the more difficult jobs, I personally think. Because, I mean, let's take a comparison here. Both Tulane and Georgia Tech are in major cities. Now, Georgia Tech's an even bigger city. Atlanta is one of the mega cities. But at the same time, I mean, you're in the ACC versus the American, so you're in a better conference when you get to Georgia Tech. I think he can work there. I think Georgia Tech has a certain level of patience that will give him an opportunity to build a program into what he likes. He's adaptable for the most part. He has some approaches to, to how he likes to build an offense, but I don't think it would be as radical as like necessarily going back to Paul Johnson and just <laughs> completely ripping everything apart, uh, which, by the way, which is funny because, of course, Paul Johnson at one point was at uh, Georgia Southern before he went to Navy and before he, he then bounced to to Georgia Tech. So all of that said, I think he would be an interesting hire. Now, whether he he gets completed, that's a big question because we watched that that kind of drama with news reporters saying he's going to be there and then kind of having to walk back the report and say they're just having discussions. But, J.D., what do you think? 
I think first and foremost, if you're at Georgia Tech, you're always going to have, and you know, we've talked about this all the time with same issue at Stanford, same issue at Duke. Whenever you're going to have really high academic standards, and especially when you have to wait until late in the recruiting cycle to figure out if a kid's even going to academically qualify for a school, you're always going to have to go for scheme over talent because you know you're not going to get your five-star Bryce Youngs. You're not going to get like these super high-end recruits into Georgia Tech solely based on those academics, you're going to have to find some way to make sure that you have an opportunity to really build around the talent you can get. And man, Willie Fritz is incredible at it. If you want to go back to triple option without going back to triple option, there's two names that you can call. They're Jamie Chadwell or they're Willie Fritz. Willie Fritz has won at every level of football that he's ever been at. He has shown that he knows how to build programs. I would love to see that hire at Georgia Tech. I'd obviously be very sad for Tulane. We had a fantastic conversation with Willie Fritz earlier this year, talking about how great the Tulane football season has been this year. Uh, But I think right now, uh, if you're looking at the opportunity of trying to make something work, uh, you're going to have to find somebody who knows how to make that happen. Now, granted, Tulane does have high academic standards. I'm not going to knock that out there. Uh, But one of the things that you are going to have to deal with no matter what at Georgia Tech is, you know, can our guys make sure that they can handle their calculus classes? Can they handle whatever engineering program they might be in? Can they make sure that they get the academic side done and still find a way to advance the game of football? And I think if you're going to do that, you need somebody who knows how to build that type of scheme and who knows how to build something around that. Jeff Collins clearly was not the guy to do that. Paul Johnson was able to do that with a triple option. And if you want somebody who can do something like that, you got to look at Chadwell or you got to look at Fritz. Well, do you also think that there's an issue with like infrastructure at Georgia Tech as far as like facilities and uh, recruiting budget and NIL and things like that that you kind of need in a Power Five uh, program at this point? I mean, yes and no. Uh, It really just, again, depends. Like, you know, is Georgia Tech trying to compete with Georgia and try to win a national championship every year? No, absolutely not. Are they trying to do something where they can compete in the ACC maybe every five years, six years, make a bowl game more often than not? Then, yeah, I mean, I think they have enough to get that done. But I don't think anybody's really looking at Georgia Tech to be like, hey, can you keep up with the Alabamas? Can you keep up with the Clemsons? Can you keep up with the Georgias of the world. I don't think anybody's really necessarily looking at that as a fan base or as an administrative side. Uh, I think they just mostly want, you know, competence, (laughs) which is uh, something that was very much lacking during the Jeff Collins years. But I mean, Bobak, just considering, you know, where Georgia Tech has been, it's been a while since 1990 and Georgia Tech was splitting that national championship. I mean, if you're looking at that Georgia Tech program, you don't necessarily need all the killer opportunities that you would have at like a Georgia, would you? I don't think so. I think that was a different era altogether. That was when Colorado was also an incredible football program, which tells you exactly how long ago it was. But at the same time, I mean, you're right. I, I agree with, with Gamecock Superman. Georgia Tech would probably want to step up a little bit more in some of the facilities. They are. I know they're trying to build some facility, I believe, on the corner of Bobby Dodd Stadium last time I heard. It's nothing you know, enormous. It's not some of these incredible – I mean, think, I'm thinking like Vandy even announced <laughs> – a uh, facilities program that that seemed a little bit impressive, you know, more impressive than you'd expect. But because, of course, you know, they do pull in SEC money there. So it, it, they're, as we see this kind of separation between the Big Ten and SEC, 
and the other three P5 programs, to an extent, we're going to see a little bit of uh, some gap. So will Georgia Tech necessarily be able to compete against Georgia or even South Carolina? I'm not saying even in a negative way, but you know, or South Carolina just as a whole. It may not be able to, as this wealth gap starts to expand between the conferences. That's why, by the way, I've been curious. I mean, even for years, I mean, I'm not talking recent, like for at least a decade or more, the wild card that everyone says, well, what if the Big Ten wanted to go into the South? Would they go after someone like a Georgia Tech? Because academically they're a fit, and then you'd suddenly have a, a footprint in the ATL. That's the ultimate wild card you sometimes hear thrown out there. Not saying that's ever going to happen, but th- that would probably be the best bet for them to ever have a hope at getting into that kind of an arms race and competing uh, with the way things are going. But Gamecock Superman, thank you. It's always good hearing from you, man. No problem. You guys have a good one. Yeah, you too. Hey, Christian, what's up? What is up, Reddit College Football? Hey, hey. So I wanted to talk about some um, some names that I haven't heard in the in the coaching carousel, and one would be UAB's Bill Clark. I know he's retired. I know the back surgery thing. My big thing was, like, for some programs out there that are kind of, you know, kind of dead in the dumps, a lot of people look over him, kind of laughing stocks of college football kind of thing. He's a program builder, program, like, he took UAB from the absolute pits of college football and made them a group of five, I would say, almost powerhouse. Definitely. And you see what happened when he left. You see that he was the face of the program. He was the thing that was keeping that program alive. You see what they're doing this year. Um, what do you think what, – what schools could you see him being a good fit at? What schools could you see going after him trying to make a splash? I love this question because he sounds like he's interested in getting back into coaching. He retired right before the beginning of the season. I believe it was August – for health reasons, I think it was his back was giving him some problems and he needed time to rest. But I think he is someone who is going to be in that kind of back burner, kind of a question that could see him landing at a program. I almost wouldn't be shocked if he appears towards the end of the hiring cycle where a team has been poached. You know, I don't know if it would be like a Toledo or if it would be one of these programs that sometimes gets brought up as as a potential target. But I could see him going to any number of programs and, and be con- being considered like a safe, okay, yeah, no, I could, you know, where the, the fan base wouldn't be ferocious, but it would probably have to be, I wouldn't say a program in, in the dire straits UAB was when he took over, let alone the, the attempt to destroy the program that he resuscitated after that. But I think he would, he certainly, if, if Bill Clark decides to coach again, and a program decides to to go after him. I don't think there's going to be too much of a of a controversy there. What do you think, JD? I'm trying to think where he would fit best right now. Um, let's not forget that the UAB job is still technically open. So I that have a strong weird. feeling that you know if I Bill really Clark going back to UAB. <laughs> Listen, I, I think weirder things have happened where, you know, if he says, like, you know what, my back's feeling better, I'd be interested in coming back. I don't think UAB is necessarily above going, hey, you know what, Bill? Old office is back there. Key should still work. Knock yourself out. I don't think that's necessarily out yeah, of the realm but of possibility. I, I'm just going to say, Joe Moglia did that, but he didn't let go of the job. He just said, I'm taking a medical year. And then Jeremy Chadwell stepped up for a single year as interim head coach and then went back to being OC. This is literally like, hey, I'm done. 
Uh, this is. I think this would be a little different, though. Hey, that happened the same exact way with Bill Snyder at Kansas State. I mean, that guy built everything at Kansas State, decided, yep, that's done. I'm retiring. I'm hanging it up. And then he just watched Ron Prince uh, kind of undo everything that he did. And he literally just walked back and he said, nope, I'm back in charge again. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily anything that different uh, in this situation. Uh, but I think especially if UAB starts looking down the barrel and they're trying to figure out who they want to be their permanent head coach and they don't love what they have, uh, they could do a lot worse than going back to Bill. I feel like there's a lot more to that story than just a medical. Like with everything that was going on with the program, I feel like he was at a position that was like, is UAB still the best um, fit for him? Just because like, I feel like the program itself is still almost trying to kill itself. And uh, he was keeping it alive. Now he's gone. You see, he's going back to the dumps. I feel like there's a lot more to that story than just a medical thing. I think that there were some higher ups playing with that. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna be honest. I've been curious about that myself, but I, we may never know on that particular topic. But, but Christian, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Blue Balls Pod. What's up? How's it going? Good. Good. Uh, big Michigan fan here, and. I was wondering what your guys' thoughts of Jesse Minter going to Cincinnati is. Maybe, obviously. Well, that's, I mean, it's interesting because I've seen his name thrown out for several different positions at this point. So I think this is part of the uh, part and parcel with the success Michigan's had, finally reaching that, you know, reaching this level and maintaining it. I think that was a really... I've read some analysis that I agree with that the second victory over Ohio State was even more program defining because it's like, okay, no, we're still, you know, we're, we're not only yet, last year wasn't a fluke, we just, you know, they did it again and maybe even again after that. So that was kind of a good warning. But Minter, yeah, he's been, he's been thrown into it a couple of times. Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember which. Oh, I just saw. Oh, he's been, he, oh my gosh. Uh, you got, I'm, which 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 one in particular are you thinking of? Uh, Cincinnati was the one. That oh, I Cincinnati! Saw. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he would be I'm, a good. Oh, go ahead, JD. I was about to say. I mean, he was a GA once upon a time ago. I think it was like maybe like two thousand six, two thousand seven ish, somewhere around there. I might have the facts murky on that one, but uh, I I think one of the big things for Cincinnati is yeah, he's done really well at Michigan for this year. But he doesn't have that thick of a resume right now. Uh, if you were to jump into what is going to be a power five job, I think, you know, if they want to look young, they want to look high upside, they want to look high risk. Uh, I think he's a guy that might be a great opportunity there. But I mean, this is a guy that, you know, really started cutting his teeth with, uh, you know, the other Harbaugh over with the Baltimore Ravens. And then this year has done a marvelous job with Michigan. Uh, absolutely got to give him props for that. Uh, but, you know, this was a uh, program that did really well uh, on the defense last year. Uh, and he kind of just continued that success. Uh, if Cincinnati uh, thinks that is good enough, I think that's Cincinnati's decision to make. I'm not sure I would necessarily go with that, especially with a step up coming to the Big 12. Uh, but, you know, when I try to start thinking of uh, other candidates that you could come at Cincinnati, Bobak, I know that there's a lot of names out there, uh, but this kind of seems like it's kind of a wide well, open search. You know, it's kind of interesting, though. I could kind of say of all the programs, that might be the one where I could see Minter 
potentially getting poached only because the other names there aren't necessarily as compelling. I mean, Matt Campbell was thrown out again and I'm like, is that, there's a little bit of, you know, some of the, the luster is, is off of that one. And, you know, and again, they'll also throw out, you know, his successor at Toledo, Jason Candle. I'm not sure if that would be someone, the other, you know, I've seen Tom Herman thrown as a possibility for Cincinnati or, or even would so or unless they decide to promote internally with their offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. So I I could see him being brought there because certainly they they've he's demonstrated himself in Michigan a lot. He's got enough of, uh, uh, you know, he's got enough of a connection there that they they seem that he would be he'd be good there. I mean, you know. Yeah, he's got the connection because obviously he's the son of uh, a former, you know, head coach himself with Rick Minter, who was, you know, the head coach, you know, as well. So I see why he's considered a primary candidate there. I don't know whether or not he's going to be the final one, but I also haven't heard. I mean, granted, this has all happened in one day. So, I mean, we got to give it a little bit of time to maybe there'll be someone who kind of comes to the forefront. But I mean, I get why he was one of the people that's been pushed forward as a potential candidate there. I mean, it's a tricky situation right now for Michigan fans. I mean, you've got success. So, I mean, I've heard, you know, more the uh, the co-offensive coordinator, offensive line, you know, he's been tossed out as a possible, I believe, Stanford, you know, head coaching candidate just to bring Stanford back to a position to where they were at the beginning of David Shaw's time there where they were really heavy duty on having that kind of power running game and bringing that kind of offensive line play back into it. So I think this is going to be kind of a rough off season for at least for some or not. Well, probably before the off season begins, an interesting coaching cycle for Michigan fans to seeing if some of those key guys are going to be poached away just because of success that they're having right now. But, <clears throat> Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, I hope they don't leave obviously, but uh, I think mentor, I think he needs to do take another year in my opinion, at Michigan, and then prove himself, like you said, and then take a head coaching job if he's going to go to like the Power Five or anywhere in the Power Five. For sure. The only one I would see anyone, I mean, again, and this isn't Minter, but if they decide, I could see if, if Moore gets the Stanford offer. I would, I would be shocked if he didn't take it because Stanford was playing Shaw like $6 million a year. Shaw was until they hired Lincoln Riley. He was the best-paid head coach in the Pac-12. Um, and I think it took a little bit of stress off of the Stanford athletic department when he resigned rather than, you know, kind of stuff made them suffer through potentially another losing season. But I could see if Stanford goes after anybody who's a coordinator, just about anywhere, they're going to probably say yes, only because they're a little patient. They're not, they, oh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I still remember Walt Harris lasted for two seasons, but at the same time, they, they have that ability where if you can make a little bit of success to, to be patient and pay a ton and I could see that being an attractive target for a very attractive position for some folks out there. But anyway, um, thanks so much. It was good talking to you. Yep. Have a good night. Go blue. Yeah. So TP hammock, what's up? Oh, uh, it's just uh, great to be alive. Honestly, I have a lot to talk about, but I just wanted to pinpoint on one before I get to that. I want to say that I'm a big fan of your content. You do a great job. One of my favorite things to look at on Twitter but my point that I've come here to make is I want to know why 
Deion Sanders should take the Colorado job over the USF job. Because if I was Deion Sanders, I would take the USF job over Colorado's because they are building new facilities. I know they are 1-11 in the American, which is not very promising. And you could argue that Colorado has the bigger budget. However, I think geographically, I think Dion has recruited that area pretty well. And I would be a little surprised, honestly, if he took the Colorado job. So I was just wondering, if you were to make a call, do you think he'd go to USF or Colorado beforehand? I'm going to – can I hop in this real fast? Please, please. Um, I, I think I think Colorado is probably – probably gave a crazy offer to Deion Sanders is going to to the point where he kind of can't refuse it. But I think, I think if, if, if all things were equal, he'd probably stay at Jackson state. And I wouldn't be shocked if he does make the decision to stay at Jackson state, even with that Colorado offer, but this is just me speculating. Um, But when it comes to USF, I would think, I think that USF is a better fit fit. If he does make a decision to make a move, but the way he talks about always trying to be bigger, better, I mean, if he's got if he got a power five offer job, it would kind of be a tough sell for him not to take it. But <laughs> I'm, I'm, so, you know, for me, it's more of a, you know, better fit would be USF because I think he would dominate the recruit, recruitment down there in, that, in Florida as a whole. He could pretty much turn USF into the next – into the – to the, the school in Florida, if he went down there, in my opinion, have a legitimate shot to get a national championship in a group of five with a group of five squad because he'll be able to get all the talent he wants. You can just look and see what he's been doing at Jackson State from a talent perspective. Yo, but, Dave, I just want to ask you real quick. I mean, because we've talked about this before, you know, uh, when we had some of these longer conversations about HBCU football, but Willie Simmons, he's also a candidate for USF and FAU now. So, I mean, do you think he might be someone else? I mean, it's an interesting time because we've got at least two, two uh, you know, obviously Dion's on a whole other level of being prominent. But, I mean, two prominent HBCU head coaches at the FCS ranks who seem to be candidates for a couple of, uh, you know, FBS programs right now. I think Willie Simmons will get the FAU job. I, I like what he's done at Florida A&M. Sorry to cut you off. No, nah, no, nah, look, man, I as an, as an ANC alum, um, it would, I think, for FAMU, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be devastating because they just got, they just finally got a new AD, so they're just trying to create some level of stability within that athletic department with all the things they had going on at the beginning of the year. Um, so I think losing Willie Simmons would be top uh, for that program. Um, now, as for Jackson State, I think, I think the AD Ashley Robinson has probably has a short list in line if Dion does make the decision to go. Uh, but for for I think it's awesome to see two HBCU coaches getting these levels of opportunities. I know there's some folks within the community that feel like, well, they didn't want them before. Why do they want them now? And my response to them is always, if you don't have if you don't have coaches if you don't have coaches that other schools want, then you have to start making that question of, do you really want the coach you have? Like, I mean, it's a good thing that Dion and Willie Simmons are getting these opportunities and, and, and getting all these rumblings. I mean, as an HBCU alum, I'm hoping that they stay because I think they're, they're not done building. But at the same time, you know, I'm not going to be stunned if, if they go. But I don't see Willie Simmons going too far away from Tallahassee. I'm going to go ahead and tell you all that right now. 
because that's that's his that's his, that's where his family's at. You, you don't, you don't see him at. taking the Colorado job? <laughs> oh, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Nah, nah. Even if he was off, I don't see that happening. Because I know USF really would love to have Willie Simmons. Because I was in a space a few weeks ago, um, and they really would love to get Willie Simmons or Dion. They would love to get either one, but. That's what happens, man. Simmons is a really good coach, and I think if he does leave, I think FAU or USF, I think a lot of people would be talking about like may not be next year, but that second year they'll be like, look at a look at that guy, you know, he's really getting them going, you know, back to prominence. Like I'm a big fan of Mr. Simmons. The next week is going to be pivotal, right? Because we know Colorado wants to announce their guy. The SWAT championship is next Saturday. Is this Saturday? So we're gonna. We're, I think a lot of ball, a lot of things are gonna, a lot of parts are gonna be moved within this week. So we're gonna know who's staying and who's going. I'm thinking, particularly with the Colorado job, probably the USF job as well. So it's it's gonna be an interesting week to say the least. We need a bonanza of a week. So I think every time there's a coach that's announced and they don't name Deion Sanders and or Willie Simmons. The HB, the the FAMU and Jackson State alums are breathing a sigh of relief right now. Like every single time they name, particularly if it's one of them schools that their coach is being mentioned in, they're they're breathing a sigh of relief each time they name somebody else. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'm curious about to see whether Dion's going to take that position with with Colorado. I it feels a little odd. I, it doesn't feel like I I I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how um. Yeah, I, I I think he's got enough patience and enough of his own private kind of wherewithal to be able to kind of be a little patient and take that position that seems to be the best fit for him. But so he doesn't necessarily go after necessarily the biggest paycheck. But Colorado's a challenge. And even before the season began, there was a good I remember a good piece in The Athletic about how they've fallen off from being one of the top three programs with NFL play like active NFL players. It was like Notre Dame, Florida State. And Colorado at one point were the top three programs with players in the NFL to where they are now. And I don't know if that's the type of challenge Dion wants to walk into because Colorado's tough. And especially with USC wow. and UCLA leaving the Pac 12, it's like yeah. you're being left on kind of a program that's also not necessarily in the strongest conference right now. Yeah, but you're still a power five. But the other thing you need to consider this, man, it doesn't matter what power five team it is, ain't nothing as hard as trying to coach at an historically black college or university. Nothing. The type of challenges that they the type of challenges that they have to deal with. Deion Sanders has been trying to coach a team that didn't have that didn't have didn't have clean water for the portion of the season. Like simple things. Like he there's like things that coaches shouldn't have to be worried about dealing with are things that Coaches are expected to deal with at historically black colleges. And we don't even have to talk about what was going on with Willie Simmons when he found out a few days before going up against UNC that he was losing 20 players. So it's, it's a different, it's a resource challenge. There's a lot of different things when it comes to coaching at an HBCU. And um, I, well, I know Reddit said that it was an odd fit. And sometimes those odd fits, you know, work out. And I know I said I opened up with USF would be the better fit. And I stand by that. Uh, but you know, there are some coaches that we said before the season that it would be, it was an odd fit. For example, the best one is a uh, UConn hiring Jim Mora. A lot of people said that's yeah. a really weird fit. And you know what, if 
Sonny Dykes isn't 12 and 0, I would probably put in a coach of the year vote from Mr. Mora. But some of those odd places work out and some of them don't like Brian Harson at Auburn. A lot of people said that's a weird fit and it just never worked out. So hopefully wherever he goes, he can make it work out and do well. And I think he will. I'm rooting that he stays. I think because I think I remember the reason why he said he came to Jackson State and the job's not done yet. And don't get me wrong. I, you know, I I don't. For me, I'm always going to root for North Carolina A&T over anybody else, but I think it's a big, I think it's a big deal for what he's doing down there at Jackson State. But the miss, but his purpose of going down there isn't finished yet. So, I'm rooting for. I want him to stay and let <laughs> him finish the purpose that he's trying to do. Yeah. All right. Let's see. I want to go ahead and move on to uh, God Bless the Grove Collective, uh, <laughs> Reb KC. You've been patient. What's up? All right. I just want to talk about how. Uh, well, first off, okay, so I have a statement and then I have a question. So my statement is, let's all never forget how the University of Mississippi, Elijah Moore, caused that crazy butterfly effect with his fake dog pee celebration on the coaching carousel. Let's never forget that. Second off, Ole Miss finds itself in another coaching uh, battle, and uh, we find our we find our coach is probably going to sign again. And uh, Auburn looks like they missed out on the guy that they wanted. So they kind of go hard at Hugh Freeze. Y'all may have covered this, but I just want to hear what people say. They went hard for Hugh Freeze, but then some of that history came up. And uh, it's not looking too good for the Hugh Freeze to Auburn train. So what, what, what are people saying there? Well, I know, J.D., I know you're going to be leaving soon, so I'll let you chime in if you wanted to go first. But I can actually go ahead and uh, start here. So, no, go for it. Go for it. Oh, no, no. Well, no, no. I mean, I think the Hugh Freeze thing, and it's so funny. We, we had a little bit of a conversation earlier with a couple of Auburn fans, and they're of the belief that it seems like it'll still probably be him in the end, although we heard rumors today that now the quiet Auburn, which, as J.D. so eloquently put, is like a toddler being quiet. What are they up to? These are when they usually make their worst decisions. But, you know, because last time they did this, Brian Harson came out at the other end. So uh, Urban Meyer has been thrown out there. So I guess they're just deciding to take anyone who could potentially be controversial but win football games. They're open to it. I... I think if they wanted to set all of that aside, they could go with a big hire from you know, coordinator. I'm not sure if Bill O'Brien necessarily has the uh, the flash right now because of some of the, the questions that, that I know some of the Alabama fans would like to see him gone at this point, which I guess. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, we, we've already talked about uh, Todd Monken, you know, the uh, Georgia, you know, coordinator would also potentially be uh, someone who might be able to step up and fill what Auburn basically has wanted, which is someone who understands recruiting in the SEC, who can bring them to a position where they can be competitive and, you know, be go back to winning the way Auburn likes to do, the way Auburn expects to do. J.D., what are your thoughts? I mean, we've kind of covered a lot of all of the uh, angles with Auburn and kind of when I think again of what Auburn knows that they want. They want previous head coaching experience. They want somebody who knows the pressure cooker of the SEC. And I know that other names that are not in the quote-unquote controversial uh, realm are going to be the guys who are like the Todd Monkins or the Jeff Grimes 
or these other coordinators, but I don't think that's necessarily where Auburn would want to go. Uh, I've mentioned it on some previous shows, and again, I'm just going to throw this out there. This is with no reporting. This is just sheer speculation. Uh, but I'm just going to throw out there once again, you know, Auburn head coach Steve Sarkeesian is not that much weirder than USC head coach Lincoln Riley. I mean, if we want to go like just absolutely nuts on, you know, Auburn wants to throw some stupid money out there uh, and it wants to make a big splash higher in the way that we had Brian Kelly go to LSU or we had USC poach Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma. I mean, if they want to throw some money around, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian at Auburn is not that the weirdest the craziest, thing to think of. That would, I, I don't even want to moderate that thread. You know, I, I'm thinking this as someone who has to then also go through a bunch of comments and stop fights. I don't even want to deal with that one. That one, <laughs> that one sounds, but it's, it's also sounds spectacular from a Twitter perspective. Like on the Twitter side of it, awesome. That would be fun. We can riff on that all day long with joke after joke after joke. Separating a bunch of angry Texas and Auburn fans and, and a bunch of Alabama fans who are going to be and gleefully throwing gasoline over both of them. Not, not thrilled about that idea, no. Um, but... <laughs> Oh, you wanted to okay, okay. I got a follow-up question sure. for you guys. All right. When is Ole Miss not going to deal with coaching rumors while Lane Kiffin is the head coach? Never. 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 And it's going to be solely because, you know, again, you look at the agents that Lane Kiffin uses, the way that Lane Kiffin loves having attention thrown around him, even for just trolling's sake. I mean, you're always going to hear some kind of rumor of like, again, I guarantee, you know, Nick Saban's not going to live forever. He's not going to coach forever. He's not going to be at uh, Alabama for the rest of time. And the second he's down there, you know, for a fact that Lane Kiffin is going to start campaigning for the job, even if he doesn't actually want the job. We're going to see the same exact thing if we see any type of changes at a big a university like that. And I think it's going to just be, that's part of the nature of the beast with Link. Now I know that you just got him onto that new, huge contract. He's going to be in the top 10 uh, highest paid coaches in the country. But I mean, you've been covering Lane Kiffin for, you know, as long as he's been college coaching. And I know that Bob, you fondly remember his days at USC and getting fired on the tarmac. I mean, I can't imagine that there's a day that Lane Kiffin just goes, ah, that's enough attention. I'm good. Oh my goodness. No. I mean, first of all, I remember when he was co-offensive coordinator with Steve Sarkeesian at USC. So, and then, you know, he leaves to coach the Raiders. So he jumped right into the fire pit. People don't forget that crazy time working with Al Davis and then Tennessee for a year. He was having, I mean, people forget how much trolling he was doing in that one year at Tennessee. He was basically, he was, you know, teasing, you know, Nick Saban a bit there. Uh, and it looked promising. And then, of course, he leaves to go to USC. We see that that whole brouhaha on the campus at, in Knoxville when that happened. And then USC flamed out, seemed to go to Nick Saban's school of coaching, ends up, you know, FAU. FAU, I think he really found himself in terms of the personality that he, he goes with. I remember interviewing him at, at CUSA Media Day. He was like, oh, my gosh, this is the first time I've flown coach in years. And, you know, he was, but he was very low-key. wasn't. It's funny when I actually got to talk to him like in an interview setting, he's way more mellow 
in a conversation than I expected. His humor is way more, which makes sense why his tweets are so funny. He's writing it out versus kind of like saying it out. Saying it out, he's a little quiet. You almost have to kind of listen to him. And then he kind of lets out some really funny kind of zingers here and there. It's it's much more, I, again, I always try to think back to when he was at USC. Him and Ed Orgeron were the rec- heads of recruiting. And I'm just trying to understand that dynamic. Ed Orgeron and like, I mean, you couldn't ask. I mean, it's not good cop, bad cop, but holy crap, that must have been something to watch in your living room. So, anywho, I, I, I think that I just want to go with what everyone said. I think it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a circus for as long as he's there. But I think that's part of what you get with the the Lane Kiffin show. And I think for better or worse, it's it's fun and it's suited to the to kind of the social era that we're in. He's he's very attuned to it, but. Hey, man, God bless the growth. Thanks for joining us. It was good talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Connor Spivy, what's up? You've been super patient. What's up? Yeah, man, I was just wondering. I'm an Auburn fan. I'm not going to ask you about the coaching hire, but I will ask you, how long do you think this goes on? How long until – when do you predict that Auburn will make their decision? Or do you you'd, think- you'd hope by before December 5th, only because that's a key day in the transfer portal. That's, you know, that's when the transfer portal opens up. That's when a new coach can kind of go in there and bring in players that they hope are going to at least be a Band-Aid until they can kind of get the rest of the you know recruiting cycle going and all of that stuff. I'm not saying you're necessarily going to get someone Lincoln Rileying themselves with this sort of mercenary team that's going to, you know, suddenly have a great turnaround in year two, but or year one, pardon me. But at the same time, that I know is generally a goal for a lot of these athletic directors. So, yeah, I mean, next weekend should theoretically be it. That's when we hope we're going to hear, especially from Auburn, to come up with who their next head coach is going to be. But crazier things have happened. We all remember the, the Tennessee cycle a few years ago, you know, so or more than a few years ago at this point. But, you know, things can get crazy. And, and unfortunately, to Better for better or worse, Auburn's one of those schools that we wouldn't necessarily entirely be shocked if, if things did go crazy. Yes, sir. Thank you. No, thank you. Yeah, I see we've got one more caller in the queue, and then I think that would be a good time for us to slowly wrap up, but we're not in a huge rush to, to close it out. Isaac, what's up? You've been really patient. Hey, appreciate it. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. good. How are you? Good. We're fantastic. Terrific. Terrific. So uh, I'm a Cincinnati fan, so I want to talk about that position for a second. Um, this, what, what I'm about to say might sound pretty evident, but, um, I, I, I believe when we hired Luke Fickle, his success would be based in his ability to recruit, um, non OSU Ohio players. And I think that's exactly how it played out. Um, during his time at Cincinnati, you saw guys that, you know, typically, you know, they don't get an OSU scholarship, but Hey, they got offered to Indiana. They got offered to Kentucky. They got offered to Louisville. And he was, he was able to recruit Ohio and Cincinnati so effectively that he had guys coming to Cincinnati instead of those schools. Um, I think Tuberville had something like 15 Ohio uh, natives on scholarship and by the time Fickle left, I think he had like 60 to 70% of the roster was from Ohio. So I guess my question is, with that in mind, I think that will be the key to the next coach at Cincinnati's success. With that in mind, what names come to mind for you guys that you think will be able to recruit Ohio effectively for the Bearcats? That's a great question, and it kind of goes back to some of the, the names that have been bandied about. You know... Matt Campbell gets thrown out only because he was at Toledo for all those years. And Jason Candle, who's currently at Toledo. But I don't know 
Cincinnati's such a good job right now. I mean, granted, we're now dealing with this kind of split in the P5. So you will get the Big Ten teams and potential and the SEC teams that can go into the other three Big Five conferences and potentially outbid and, and poach some coaches away. But at the same time, I mean, they're about to head into the Big 12. He's built a hell of a program. Um, they're, they're putting money in the facilities. They've got, you know, I mean, the Bengals used to use the facilities at Cincinnati, at the, uh, the Bearcats facilities up until this past year. So the things are there. The things are in place. So who they decide to bring in, there's a couple of there's a couple of names. There. You know, I've even and I'm going to just throw this at you, J.D., and I want to know your thoughts. He isn't technically an Ohio guy, but they've been throwing out names like Tom Herman. What do you think? I mean, historically, you know, Tom Herman was the offensive coordinator for that Ohio State team that won it all in 2014. He knows the area. But when I first immediately look at, you know, who can recruit Ohio, I think the first names that I'm immediately looking for are some of the guys who are already on Cincinnati's staff. I mean, uh, Gino Gaduli, I think, is going to be like one of those guys. I think Kerry Coombs is going to be one of those guys. I mean, those are individuals who really know the landscape in Ohio. They know the high school coaches there. They know the prep academies. Those are the guys who are already going to know it in and out and shy of, you know, going and poaching somebody from Ryan Day's staff over at Ohio State. Cause I mean when you look at the 2022 rankings, you start looking at like, you know, who are all the pipeline kids going to? You're going to, you know, your top don't six forget guys, Mike four Trust, of by them. The way. Sorry to cut you off, Mike Trust. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Mike Trestle needs to be in that conversation. Uh, but I mean, when you look at, you know, who are where are the five stars going uh, in Ohio, they're all going to Ohio State or Penn State. If you start looking down the list on the blue chips, it continues to be your typical blue bloods. But when you start seeing where Cincinnati is pulling guys, I mean, you're pulling guys like Derek Shepard uh, out of uh, Archbishop Alter uh, out in Dayton, Ohio. You're looking, you know, at guys like Mike Warren, where you're pulling them out of the Toledo area. I I mean, those are the types of guys that you're going to have success with at Cincinnati. And Ohio State is always and forever going to be the name brand in Ohio because it just has been for 100 years. Uh, so when you got to find a way to say, hey, Cincinnati is the second power five in this state. We've made noise. We've been to a playoff before. You need guys who can sell that, I think, more so than, hey, we know Ohio better than Ohio State. Uh, because no matter what, you're going to have to go against that type of competition for every Ohio recruit. All these kids grew up knowing how good the Buckeyes were, how many national championships they've won. They've seen that Buckeyes logo for as long as they've been alive. But you need somebody who can come in and pitch a story to go, now you get to write the next chapter more than anything else. And I think, again, if you start looking at that, uh, really love guy like Gino Gadouli, who, you know, he's a former University of Cincinnati quarterback who has been there for their Peach Bowl game, who was there for their playoff game, and who is probably going to be a really strong candidate to stay and guide the program no matter who comes in at Cincinnati. I think that's probably going to be one of your best opportunities to sell that story. And more than anything else, I think you need that to recruit in Ohio more so than anything else. 
Thank you so much for joining us, Isaac. You know, we've been going on for about a little over 90 minutes right now, so I think we'll go ahead and slowly wrap this up. I just wanted to take a moment to thank all of you who joined us. This was RCFB Talk 112. This was a conversation of a coaching carousel that's been going on. I have a feeling we're going to be doing more of these in addition to our typical Tuesday night talks and guests that we'll start bringing in again now that I've finally got over the flu that took two weeks to... <laughs> To finally get my voice in a place where it was normal again. So on behalf of myself, Bob Akairi, on behalf of J.D. Moore, thank you all for joining us. We hope all of you have a great Sunday night. It's been a fun regular season, and there's still more football and crazy coaching decisions to come. So I'm going to hang up and listen. <laughs>